Eagles Entertainment. With the 10th pick in the 2021 NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select... You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by Life Brand. I'm your host, Fran Duff, and we've got another week of college football to break down. First, before we get there, we're going to go to Scout Stories, where I catch up with Eagles Director of Player Personnel, Brandon Brown, to talk about projecting tight ends from college to the NFL. We're going to hone in on that position. What are the key traits and what are some of the things that have changed about projecting tight ends to the league? It's going to be a fun discussion here with Brandon right at the top of the show. After that, I catch up with Dane Brugler for Saturday Scouting, where we've got our week four takeaways in college football. No Ben this week. He's making that trip back. He worked the the Raiders-Dolphins game on Sunday. So we're going to miss Ben here for this episode. But we're going to talk about our big week four takeaways with Dane. Then we're going to transition on the clock where C-Mac joins the show to host a little debate between myself and Dane. Talk about the offensive line position. Then we're going to talk about little receivers here at the end of the show in draft mailbag. Great question from you at home talking about wide receivers. Before we get this show started, just a quick reminder, jump on, leave us a rating, leave us a review. If you've got a question like the one that we're going to answer here at the end of the show in draft mailbag, that is the place to do it. Go on Apple Podcasts, leave us the question right there in the comment box, and we will get to it here on an upcoming show. This question has all about is about trying to rank receivers at, the, at that position. Who are the top three guys and who else could, could make some noise and, and hear their name called in that area? So it's a great question. If you've got something like that or if you've got a mock draft you want us to break down, that's the best way to reach us. And it's the best way to throw us your support. I appreciate everybody that has done that lately. That said, let's get this show rolling. I'm excited to dig into this conversation with Eagles player Director of Player Personnel, Brandon Brown. Talk about tight ends. Pull up a seat. It's time for Scout Stories. All right, well, excited to talk about the tight end position here with Brandon Brown here for Scout Stories, Eagles Director of Player Personnel. Brandon, thanks so much for joining us here on the show. Fran, pleasure to be on the podcast, and uh, thanks for having me. All right, so let's talk about the tight end spot because it's an ever-evolving position. I think that the evolution, I don't know if it's going to continue here, but we've seen it change over the last decade. Uh, What is it that makes it so tough to be able to evaluate and project college players going to the NFL? Yeah, uh, Fran, I think you kind of alluded to it a little bit as as your opening where um, these college tight ends are getting so much more athletic than maybe you call it 10, 15 years ago where – you know, it, the hardest part to project is, hey, what can they do in line as a blocker? Um, because one, um, they're, they're increasing in the pass catching role and the versatility of these guys in college. Uh, you don't see as much in line usage. And if they're a premium pass catcher, you know, you're seeing a lot of more of these guys being lined up, uh, detached away from the core. Um, and they maybe just be in the run game, mirroring in space, running guys off. They're detached and they don't have um, a high volume um, I guess you want to call it um, examples of, you know, taking a DN off the ball, running him, running him back, uh, sustaining springing, springing long runs. Uh, so I think some of the dirty work uh, that, you know, you're asked to do at the NFL level, especially, you know, when you're a combo uh, tight end or just a wide tight end, uh, you don't get the full sample size that you, you may like at the college level. So it's a lot of projecting on, especially on, on the strength component and where they are and where they can be. So when you get guys to the NFL and you kind of stack the board and you look at all these guys around the league, what is it that separates like the, the good players from the blue chip, the, the great players at the position? Well, I think the first thing, though, Fran, is you think of it, what's the role in terms of, you know, you're using the tight end as, mm-hmm. right? So I think of it as it's three different roles. Is this going to be your traditional, you know, wide tight end, 
Um, going to be in line majority of the time, heavy usage in the run game. Um, is this going to be your, your uh, combo tight end where he's going to handle the heavy duty in the, in the run game, but also can uh, be a focal point, you know, in the intermediate uh, passing game, the screen game can detach and be a big slot, right? Or is this going to be your F tight end um, who's going to be, you know, your could be your mismatch threat, who if majority has his most value in the passing game, probably, you know, limited as a blocker may as a blocker may only have to be use him as, as a back backside guy or, you know, guys that are you know lined up as a, as a wing, not a true inline guy. Cause they just don't have the size or the pure strength to create movement off the ball. So I think of it, you look at, Hey, what bucket does he fit in? And once he's in that bucket, um, what is his go-to trait? You know, if you're talking about a guy who, you know, maybe six, five, you know, two and he's a wide tight end. Is he strong enough to sustain in the run game? Cause that's going to have to be his bread and butter, right? If it's a combo guy, um, does he have enough speed to threaten the seams um, or is he have enough zone awareness and, and good enough ball skills to be consistent in the intermediate level? And then you're talking about in the F tight end, you know, strength is not going to be his calling card, but as he's detached, um, is he a mismatch threat where, you know, he's going to be uh, present one-on-one man-to-man mismatches for linebackers or even safeties because he, you know, is, has that second gear to, um, to threaten deep, or does he have that route running precision and uh, balance and separation at the top of intermediate routes to consistently uncover. So mm-hmm. think of it as in those three categories, where does the player fit? And does he have, you know, that calling card trait to allow him to function and win his matchups? One of the, when you talk about like those combo players, I feel like one of the best lines that I heard from a coach that has stuck with me over the last few years has been uh, that versatility doesn't, doesn't just mean that, oh, you can flex a guy out and he can play out in space. The versatility is the ability to be able to do all of those different things. You know, when you have those combo players, uh, they can do that. Is, is there a, a piece of advice that you got about evaluating the position that has stuck with you over the course of your career? Yeah, that, 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 that's right, friend. I, I like that, that quote that you use. And um, yeah, the biggest thing is um, just because a player lines up there, um, whether it's in line or detached, doesn't mean he can handle the, the task that's required. Mm. And vice versa, just because he doesn't line up there doesn't mean that he can't right. handle the task yep. that's required, right? So if you say that, you know, it's a tight end, um, he may be on a, uh, just call it a college college tight end that's on a roster that is deficient of receivers who are pass catchers or mismatch threats, but this is the best pass catcher on the team. So more often than not, this guy may be heavily detached, and you may have him as a slot and he may be a high volume target who's, you know, catching, say, I don't know, call it anywhere between, you know, 65 to 85 balls a year and maybe or an over 100 target guy or 100 target guy. Um, so you don't see a large sample size of him blocking in line. Right. But then if you see him, uh, whether he's detached, you see the violence, the finish in the run game, maybe he's um entering into the box from the slot and he's, you know, cleaning up a linebacker on an outside run, or, you know, you see him in a different setting, right? Now, may, now you may see him at an all-star game now, and he's doing a lot of the inline things that he just wasn't asked to do at, for his college program. Mm. And he, he's doing it at a level of proficiency, or you see he's raw in it, but this guy has willingness and he has natural strength that is just untapped because he doesn't have the right functional technique yet. So I just think a lot of those things I would tell my younger self is, Hey, always keep the glass half full. And does this guy have the willingness to be, um, you know, a functional blocker in the run game? And does he have, you know, developmental upside uh, where we, once we get him in our program, if he gets stronger, he can be 
um, you know, proficient and, and handle the task at hand. So I just think just because you don't see him doing it doesn't mean he can't do it. I feel like too, and we, we talk about that exact line so often at a number of different positions here on the show. Uh, and I feel like two of the best tight ends in the league right now that you could point to as being good examples of that one here in Philadelphia, Dallas Goddard, you know, wasn't known as a blocker when he's coming out of South Dakota state and, you know, has quickly turned into one of the better blockers. Uh, and then you look at George Kittle on the opposite side was a great blocker at Iowa didn't prove that he could be a, a high volume pass target, but showed the skill, the skills and the be able, the traits to be able to be one and has turned into one of the best uh, here in the NFL as well. So you see it on both sides of the coin. A hundred percent. And a part of that too, Fran, is that you almost say their gift is almost um, a subject that they become penalized for. Right. right. So if you're such a high level um, or efficient pass catcher and you become a, a piece that your team depends on at the college level. Uh, well, the backside is you don't, you don't, you may not see them having a high usage rate in the blocking game because of what, what they give in the passing game. Mm. So I just think, you know, like you said, you mentioned Dallas, you mentioned Kittle, um, both are guys, you know, they play with great energy and uh, they can open up things in, in, in the run game, but also create mismatches in the passing game. And I think the biggest thing that you take comfort in from an offensive side, they can always present the element of confusion and they don't elude and give predictability when you line up, right? Yeah, you can see Dallas line up in multiple facets and positions and uh, you may not know what's coming. And I think that ability to keep the defense on their, their toes and not be predictable because he can be so proficient and productive in multiple roles. Um, it's, it's, it's a blessing to have. And it, it's one of those things that, you know, you don't take for granted because you can use them almost like a Swiss army knife. Yeah. That, that formation variation as an offense coordinator, I mean, we talk about positionless football on both sides, offense and defense all the time here on the show. Uh, and that's a, a great example. That position, uh, so integral, uh, when you get into that theme, Brandon, thanks so much for joining us here once again on the show to talk about the tight end spot here for scout stories. We will talk to you again soon. Brian, pleasure to have me. Love being on the podcast, and I appreciate it. It's time for Saturday Scouting. All right, let's get into this week in college football. I welcome in Dane Brugler for Saturday Scouting. And Dane, I guess before we get into this weekend, I want to talk to you about a piece that you did late last week over on The Athletic where you highlighted transfers that have seen their their stock rise, their star get a little bit brighter so far through the first couple weeks of college football. Who are a couple guys, uh, I guess, from doing that piece? And for everybody who hasn't seen it yet, make sure you go check it out over on The Athletic. Who are a couple guys that really stood out to you when you were doing that work and seeing who exactly has helped themselves the most? Yeah, well, and it's interesting because I, I really I left it up to a few scouts. I uh, reached out to to five of them, and I said, you know, just give me a guy who you think has really helped themselves. Um, uh, and they came back with a lot of interesting names, and I narrowed it down to five. I think the one that stood out the most is Kenneth Walker, uh, the running back at Michigan State. He leads the FBS in, in rushing, uh, coming over from Wake Forest. Uh, you know, he has said that he wanted to be – Featured in more of a pro style attack, he thought it fit his skill set a little bit better. And so far, uh, Sparty's been riding him to uh, some big wins. And you know, two weeks ago against Miami, uh, according to PFF, Kenneth Walker had 20 forced missed tackles uh, against the Hurricanes. And some of that, uh, some pretty bad defense, but some of that, give credit to to Walker. He does a uh, a really nice job setting up his cuts. He's got the vision. He's got the lower body 
uh, footwork. It's very crisp with his cuts and his movements. Um, it's some impressive, uh, and I included some all 22 clips, uh, as part of the feature to kind of show what he does. So Kenneth Walker definitely was mentioned a few times. Jermaine Johnson from Florida state who, uh, leads the, led the nation in tackles for loss stacks, all defensive linemen and tackles. He, uh, through three games for Florida state had as many snaps, uh, as he did all of last year for Georgia. And that's really why he transferred is because he was part of a heavy rotation. Um, and now getting the chance to be the alpha, the guy for the Seminoles has really helped him, uh, you know, his talent shine a little bit brighter. Um, one other guy I wanted to mention, John Ridgeway from Arkansas. Uh, and I, we'll be talking more about Arkansas here in a little bit. Uh, yeah, one of the better stories in college football this year. Um, he transferred from Illinois State uh, to be a, a nose guard, nose tackle in that Arkansas three-man front. And he is, uh, he, he's been really good. I mean, he creates movement at the point of attack. That poor Texas A&M tackle, or, or center, uh, excuse me, uh, really had few answers for Ridgeway and his power. So um, he, he is a, I, I think when you look at the top 10 defensive tackles uh, in the senior class this year, Ridgeway's in there somewhere. I don't know where just yet, but he is definitely one of the top 10 senior defensive tackle prospects, uh, I think, in the country. Kenneth Walker. I mean, that performance against my uh, against uh, Miami, very reminiscent of Javante Williams uh, last year against yeah. Miami, uh, with all the broken tackles and just what the, you know the lack of their ability to get him to the grounds. Uh, Walker has been really, really impressive so far. Uh, whenever you turn on Sparty and then Jermaine Johnson, I mean, people keep we you know we've got guests on the show every single week and just talking about who has stood out so far. I think Jermaine Johnson has come up a couple of times. Uh, is he a player? And like at the end of the day, like are we talking like potential day two uh, for Jermaine Johnson? You think? Yeah, I think so. And I mean, I think he was already kind of there um, in the preseason. He was my um, in my pass rusher article over the summer. He was my number four uh, pass rusher going into uh, number four senior going into the season. So, I mean, a big fan because the talent was there when you watch a Georgia tape. It's just, you know, can he do it if he's playing as more of an every down player? And so far, that's exactly been uh, that's been the case. That's what's what he's done for Florida State. So Jermaine Johnson uh, is a player that if you're going to look at the top senior pass rushers this year. I think Adam Hutchinson's number one. I think he's going to be the first defensive senior drafted. Uh, and then after that, it's that next tier, a uh, bunch of guys kind of, you know, jockeying for position, Adam Anderson from Georgia, Jeffrey Gunther from coastal, um, and Jermaine Johnson right there in that group, trying to be, uh, that next senior def or defensive end, uh, drafted probably somewhere in the top 75, top 80 picks. So you wrapped it up by talking about John Ridgeway from Arkansas. You alluded to the fact that we're probably going to talk about them. So uh, we'll transition right into that. And for me, my game ball, my standout player from the weekend has to be Arkansas wide receiver Traylon Burks, uh, a guy that you and I are both really, really high on. We've we've waxed poetic, poetic about him here on the show numerous times already since the summer. Uh, and this is a guy that just put on a show uh, against Texas A&M. Six catches, 167 yards. The big play that a lot of people are pointing to was the 85-yard touchdown on the fade route that on the right sideline. I mean, showing big-time juice for a guy who's, what, 6'3", 220 pounds. But then also, I mean, he had the, the crazy diving catch on the over route. He's had highlights each and every game. I mean, he had a 90-plus-yard touchdown a week ago. Uh, this is a guy who just consistently makes plays. It's not just the gadget yards after catch, but his ability to make plays at all three levels of the field really, really stands out. Traylon Burks, man, I mean – Lock for the first round. If he were to come out of I mean, it, it certainly seems like it's tracking that way. 
I mean, he's the size of a linebacker and he's going to run really, really well. Um, does he need to get better as a route runner? Yes. Does he need to get better? Uh, just a more consistent hands catcher? Yes. So he'll have these highlight grabs and then drop some easy ones. So he needs to be a little bit more consistent uh, with the details of the position. But I, yeah, how can you not just really love the uniqueness of how he plays the position, what he brings to the field, how he can impact your offense? And you mentioned his production from Saturday. I think all of that came in the first half. Right. Uh, as you know, their quarterback was hurt in the second half. They relied on the run game. Um, he's just, he's a unique, uh, wide receiver prospect. And this, it's an interesting wide receiver year with, you know, it's not going to be as top heavy as it has been the last few years, but we've got guys like Traylon Burks and, you know, the two studs at Ohio state and, you know, guys that are really, really interesting and bring a unique package of skills. And it just, it'll come down to what type of player you're looking for, uh, you know, for, for these wide receivers, because they all offer something a little bit different. I mean, and I want to give a quick shout out to our listeners of the show too, because as the uh, Traylon Burks was making a rain against AM, my mentions were just like blowing up with Fran. Did you see that play? Fran, did you see that play? And I was actually at a wedding on Saturday night. So mm. I'm just following along and just following as many highlights as I can. They had a TV at the wedding. Um, but then just seeing my phone light up with people saying, Fran, look at that catch. Fran, did you see the highlight from Traylon Burks? Uh, shout out to the listeners here for the journey. Yeah. The no, and I, I was getting the same thing because I know right. over the summer I was. I struggled with, okay, where to put him on my early top 50 board because he's just, he's so different. And so, okay, he's size of a linebacker. So you know, is, is that guy really going to go in the first round? And, you know, the more I watch, I'm just, okay, he's too good. So I ended up putting him 15 overall, uh, you know, fairly high. And so far, I mean, I, I, he has made me not regret uh, putting him as high as I did. All right. Who got your game ball this week? Sticking with the Razorbacks. Um, yeah, I'm going with Trey Williams uh, on the edge, uh, uh, rushing off the edge. His performance on Saturday is the type of performance that I think can take a priority free agent and push him into draftable territory. Uh, he finished with four tackles, two sacks. The box score does not do him justice at all. Consistently in the backfield, affecting the quarterback, creating issues for that offense. Two weeks ago, uh, after Arkansas just dismantled Texas, I gave my game ball to the Arkansas defense as a whole, really just talking about the linebackers, but that defensive line really showed up in a big way against AM. Uh, Williams, he's big and strong. He's 6'5, 255 pounds, not really explosive, and he's not going to run exceptionally well. 255 pounds, he might run a 4'8, but he's so good at running or rushing downhill. So he creates that powerful momentum. He's got heavy hands. Uh, in the second half, he went up against uh, Kenyon Green. They moved him from right guard to left tackle, and Williams was absolutely dominant in that matchup. So, um, you know, in, in Green's defense, he doesn't have many reps at left tackle, playing mostly right tackle this year. They played him right guard this game, but still a feather in the cap uh, for for Williams that he was able to have that type of success against a player with Green's talent. So, wanted to shout out Trey Williams in the in the outstanding performance he had uh, against that AM offense. People may remember Mizzou for a long time kept churning out these pass rushers, right? Mizzou was just putting out defensive ends in the league and the head coach, previously the defensive coordinator, previously the defensive line coach for Mizzou was Barry Odom, who's now the yep. defense coordinator for Arkansas. So uh, not surprising at all to see that level of production coming from that defensive front. You've already talked about two of them here uh, so far today. Uh, let's go but to our one. Sorry, Trey, Trey Williams, a Mizzou transfer. So that's exactly yeah. right. Yep, exactly. Right. Uh, and he's a great grad transfer guy. Or did, did, he right. was a sixth year senior, right? He's he's one of the super seniors. 
I, uh, I, I have to go back and check. He, yeah, I believe he's a, he got the, he got the extra year. Uh, yeah, he, he's a Columbia. Yeah, he's a Columbia native. So I mean, he, he he's a guy that was Mizzou, and then he's he's really shining with this uh, as being a transfer. All right, let's get to uh, our one-play takeaway. And obviously that big touchdown by Traylon Burks, that was a big one. Um, but I'm going to go with another receiver, a guy that we have talked about a little bit here on the show. That's Hawaii's Calvin Turner, who had a ridiculous play. Down it was a high red zone. He took a jet sweep against New Mexico State, who they like shut the door on it. It was going from right to left. He stuck his foot in the ground, worked reverse, ended up going back the other side, ended up scoring on the play. Uh, just ridiculous dynamic playmaking ability that, yeah, you're probably not going to see that in the NFL, but just the fact that uh, he's got that in him, he's got that level of twitch, he's got that vision in the open field, and then the speed to run away uh, from the defense. What is what he'll see in the NFL a little bit different than New Mexico State, but Calvin Turner, a guy we've talked about a little bit here. He's been a running back wide receiver hybrid, uh, you know, and certainly has that gadget type of skill set, uh, kind of showing that off. Uh, for Hawaii in the game against Mexico state. No, that's a really good one. Um, I'm going to go with uh, Devin Lloyd and his interception against uh, Washington state Lloyd all over the front seven. Uh, we talked about it before uh, on this interception, he was on the edge kind of gave a look like he was going to blitz, but then he kind of steps back for a minute uh, and he quickly reads that wide receiver screen, found the passing lane, tipped the ball to himself He's able to dive, finish the interception. He finished with eight tackles, three tackles for loss, a sack. But the recognition and the athleticism that he showed on that interception, that's exactly what NFL scouts are writing in their reports and why I think he's a top senior linebacker this year. Uh, I tweeted out the the clip uh, on Twitter earlier this morning. He just He's a really unique player with uh, the way he affects the game. Yeah, he's a, a really fun player for certain. Uh, let's go to our, our down-the-road guys, our down-the-road freak show. For me, uh, Georgia, just a, a dominant, dominant victory, uh, obviously going up 62 nothing uh, in their win. One of the standouts on offense for this team, Brock Powers, true freshman tight end, uh, takes a, a little bit of a, a speed sweep for a touchdown, had a couple of nice catches and runs for them. Uh, I'm going to go Brock Bowers, true freshman, who was a, who was a big-time recruit, four- or five-star kid, um, making some plays for them in the passing game, just a name to kind of file away. Uh, we'll be talking about him once we get to the 2023 uh, draft class at this point, but Brock Bowers, uh, file his name away. Well, 2024, right? He's a true freshman. True so, freshman, yeah. But yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. 2024. Jeez, you're right. I, I, no, I mean, he was uh, watching that. Uh, some of the clips of that game, his body control is really, really impressive for a, a, a true freshman. I'm going to keep it in the SEC. I'm going to go LSU. Kayshawn Boutte. Uh, he added two more touchdowns against Mississippi State on Saturday. He leads college football, or tied for the lead in college football with eight receiving touchdowns. Uh, no one in the SEC has more than four. Uh, so this guy's got double that uh, outstanding catch and run receiver, strong hands, decisive routes, only a true sophomore, but he'll be in that conversation to be, uh, you know, wide receiver one in the 2023 class. He, I mean, you saw like the flashes last year, obviously the quarterback situation was very much in flux a year ago, but just, it's been good to see him take that next step this year, where it's not, it wasn't like a flash in the pan as a true freshman. He has taken the next step and has become easily one of the best receivers in the country. Yeah, he's been fantastic. And the LSU quarterback situation, still a little <laughs> unsettled. But when you got a, a talent like Boutte, I, I mean, you're, you're able to do some things. All right, let's go to our film room recap here. Uh, player that we've studied on film that has caught our, caught our eye over the last week. I'll let you uh, kick things off on this one. So I, I get a lot of questions about Rashid Walker from Penn State, um, the offensive tackle, left tackle. And so I wanted to go back. Uh, I, mean, I watched him over the summer, and I wanted to go back and watch his first three or four games this year to see how he's done. I didn't love him based on the summer. And, you know, to be honest, I'm still kind of struggling to see 
that first round player that some people have kind of stamped him as um, his tape against Wisconsin was below average against Auburn. It was very up and down. So I think there's plenty to like about him. He's quick out of his stance. He can sink. He can open his hips. He can redirect defenders. Um, but, you know, the negative notes, he really struggles to play under control. His punch timing is inconsistent. Uh, it really makes it tough for him to stay connected. He's a hard outside setter, meaning he's late to react to, uh, for some of those inside moves. And then too often he's sacrificing his balance and just losing his bearing. So with Walker, there's clear talent, but he just doesn't play controlled. And that is something that NFL rushers can expose pretty quickly. Uh, one scout that I talked to about him compared him to Greg Little, who was a top 40 pick, but you know, has it, it didn't last very long in Carolina. I'm going to be eager to revisit Walker later this season to see if he's you know playing any, any bit better, if he's playing more under control, because I think that's really going to determine uh, ultimately where he's going to be drafted. I stayed in the Big Ten, and I ended up going with Jeremy Ruckert, the Ohio State tight end, who I watched for the first couple of games from this season, uh, you know, watched uh, the, the Oregon game and watched the Minnesota game. And number one, I mean, right away you see a projectable player because of him as a blocker. I mean, right away you say, okay, he's going to be – he could be a serviceable starter for half the teams in the NFL because of what he does at the point of attack in the run game, and he's also a really good pass protector. So I think but just that alone – you say, okay, like this guy has starting potential. And then you get into him as a receiver. And I'll tell you what, Dan, like he, he ran some sharp routes. He could snap off the top of breaks. I think he's got a little bit of a ju- little bit more juice than people give him credit for because of how good he is as a blocker. I don't, it's almost like looking at Tommy Tremble last year where it's like, all right, well, the production, not quite there, but he's got traits to be a good uh, pass catcher. He's got traits to be productive in the pass game. It just gets down to usage. Um, you know, and obviously the extreme example of that was George Kittle coming out of Iowa, right? But there are plenty of examples of guys that, man, that, like, you know, maybe they, they finished their final season on campus and they had 17 catches, but then they go to the NFL and you see them a couple of years later and they're racking up, you know, 40, 50 catches. I think that he's got that kind of skill set to certainly be a three down player, but I love just watching this guy get after it as a blocker. Uh, easily, easy to see high, high floor player. And now it's just a matter of what the ceiling is. I agree. And I I like Jeremy Rucker quite a bit. He was my top senior tight end coming into the year. And this is a really good senior tight end class. It really Uh, is. Let me ask, how do you compare him with say Kate Otten? From Washington. So I I like Otten a lot. And I I do like Otten a little bit more. because I, I like really like Otten. I think Otten's right. got the ability to be uh, a, a three down player for certain. Whereas Rucker, like, because that's the, like with Otten, we see him be kind of a focal point on offense. I mean, he only he had 18 catches last year, but it was in what three games that they played uh, out of Washington. Uh, I'm interested to kind of dig more into the film out West from, from this fall. But I think when you look at him and Rucker, I think it's very, very similar. Um, I liked both players a lot. I just like Otten a little bit more. Yeah, no, I I think when uh, looking at these tight ends, I, I've got Otten and Rucker kind of at the top. I'm trying to decide between those two guys. Charlie Kohler from Iowa State, um, just below those two. And then Jake Ferguson, Trey McBride uh, behind them. So that's five senior tight ends. All five could end up being top 100, top 120 yeah. picks. I mean, they, they have a future at the next level. So it's just, it's a really deep senior tight end class. And I mean, James Mitchell, I think could have been in that discussion too. He just uh, obviously had the injury uh, now out for the season. So that'll impact uh, his value. But you look at McBride, we talked about him late last week uh, here on the show. Jake Ferguson from Wisconsin has been a big time weapon. I mean, I kind of a, a, a 
an interesting wild card, Grant Calcaterra down at SMU. Uh, it's a really interesting senior group. Uh, and that's not even counting like Jalen Weidermeyer down at AM and like some of the underclassmen uh, that can help fill this class out. Mike Martinez, um, you know, down at UCLA. It's, it's, a, it's a fun group. It's a fun tight end group for certain. Um, well, and, and go ahead. I, I say Jaleel Billingsley from Alabama is yeah, after he right. kind of got called out earlier this year by Coach Saban. Uh, he, he's been turning it on. He had a great game this past Saturday, had a touchdown. Um, I know some scouts really like Sam Laporta at Iowa. Um, you know, there's you know, Iowa pro- just produces these tight ends. He's nothing really special about him, but he's going to help you as a blocker, as a receiver, just a rock solid player. So, yeah, the tight end, but depending on some of these juniors, could end up being one of the strongest positions this year. And I say that without, you know, there might not even be a, a, a slam dunk first rounder, right, in the yep. group, but it still might be one of the deeper positions that this class has to offer. Yeah. But it's a, it's a really good group. When I was watching Rucker, uh, that's why I was, I turned over to Ben because Ben and I were watching together and said like, man, like, this group is just, overall, it's just a really strong uh, position here moving into this draft. Well, uh, Dave, we've got a couple more guys uh, to talk about. I feel like we're going to stay on the offensive side of the ball. Let's welcome in C-Mac. Let's go on the clock. On the clock. All right, guys, let's get into our next segment here as we welcome in Chris McPherson to go on the clock. C-Mac, take us through the category, intro the the segment for us. I'll help the people out. Gentlemen, what did you guys do to Ben? (laughs) No no Ben this week. As I said earlier, on the uh, on the red eye, uh, coming back from from the, the the Raiders game, working in Vegas. So uh, is, is he that weekend, upset? I'm I haven't sure. picked this guy. Is he yeah. that upset? Uh, like, I, try, I look. I tr- I tried to send out the invitation to him. Said, hey, you can just record yourself making the pitch. He said, no, it's okay. So he's uh, willingly throwing up the white flag for this week. So I'll take you guys behind the scenes here, the listeners out there. Basically, I'm trying to get a sampling of every position. Okay, so every week I'm tracking who we're talking about. And I figure we got to give the offensive linemen some love. Those big guys up front who can really establish the ground game, protect the franchise quarterbacks. We're going to be talking about the quarterbacks, I'm sure, in November, December, the, the later episodes of this pod as the college football season uh, unfolds. So I figure how about let's give it to the guys up front. So I wanted to throw it to you guys here. And Fran, I'll let you get started here first. It's fourth and goal. Okay. Games on the line. Which offensive lineman are you running behind to win the game? This isn't your, you know, which quarterback do you want on Saturday for the big two-minute drive? Let's just get to the goal line. You got to punch it in there. Which offensive lineman, Fran, are you running behind and why? So there are a few options in this class that came to mind, but there was one guy in particular where I was like, this this has got to be the selection. And that's Ikem Ikwanu from NC State. Six foot four. 327 pounds, all right? And he's a true junior this year for NC State. So everything, some of the stuff I'm going to say is based off of his true sophomore season in 2020, right? Just because some of these are quotes coming from last last offseason, this past offseason. And Bruce Feldman, who does a great job, uh, obviously covering the sport for, for the athletic and has been doing it for uh, decades now, he wrote a, a feature on Equanu leading up to last year's NFL draft, he was talking with coaches, C-Mac, trying to write about Christian Darashaw, who was a future first-round pick. Um, you know, a lot of people were really high on Darashaw coming out of Virginia Tech. But every time he would talk with ACC offensive or defensive coaches, they would say, yeah, like, Darashaw's good, but he's not as good as the NC State kid. And there was one coach that said, hey, he reminds me of Mackay Becton. He's not as big, but he was just steamrolling people. Another coach said... 
He is the most feared offensive lineman in the ACC. He's similar to Becton, but much more of an interior guy. He's got so much short area power and explosiveness. He's violent. You go watch him on film and you say, wow, he's just destroying people. And honestly, C-Mac, he is like one of my favorite. Like if I just got like 20 minutes. I'm just going to plug in an NC state offensive film and just like sit back and watch and like, you know, just like, you know, have a drink, sit and just have fun because he <laughs> is just blowing people off the ball. And it's not even just, Oh wow. Look how powerful he is. It's look how nasty he is. He's a former high school wrestler who specializes in getting defenders on the ground. He does an outstanding job with his hands. He runs his feet on contact and he wants to embarrass players every single play, every single time he takes the field, he's led the team in knockdowns and pancake blocks each of the past few years uh, since he's been on campus, since he's been a starter, he's got some things to clean up in pass protection. But if we're talking about it's fourth and goal, who are we running behind? Give me, give me a Quanu. Uh, I mean, this guy, he's played both left tackle and left guard. Uh, so he's got some height, some uh, positional versatility, which that will be big for him. Uh, but this is a guy that regardless of what you're looking at him at position wise, the next level, you're just looking for a run blocking offensive lineman. I mean, a Quanu, like it, it doesn't get much, uh, it doesn't get much better than that. I mean, he's going to be, a top 20, top 30 type of pick uh, when you when it's all said and done. Sounds beautiful. That's the thing. You want a guy who you know who loves the game, is going to be nasty, and you don't have to worry about any of those intangible stuff that you could throw him out there on day one. And at the very least, he's going to be mauling people along the line of scrimmage. So run the name by me again, Ikwanu. So it's Ikem, I-K-E-M. Ikwanu, which is E-K-W-O-N-U. Um his twin brother was a, a big time linebacker coming out of high school. So it was two twins coming out and he was the big recruit and he got recruited. He was a four-star recruit. Everybody wanted him uh, Notre Dame uh, through it. And he actually ended up going to Notre Dame and, but it was like, Oh, we're going to throw Ekem an offer just because so we can try and get the brother. He went to the school that like knew that they wanted him and NC state, like they went after him as an offensive lineman. Uh, and so that's why he ended up going to a different school than his brother. Uh, but I mean, this kid, C-Mac, when I tell you, like, this guy is fun to watch. Like, you, even if you know nothing about <laughs> yeah. offensive line play, if you've never watched him before, you watch him, so like, yeah, like, this guy's an ass kicker. Like, he gets after it. I like it. I like it. Strong open. I, I like the fact there at the end that he was willing to go off on his own path, knowing that I don't want to just be the throw in, like, oh, we'll offer him just, you know, because we want the brother. He, he's like, I'll, I'll uh, make my own path, pave my own lane here. So, uh, Ben? How about you? <laughs> oh, that's right. He's not here. So uh, I guess we'll go to Dane here to uh, finish this off. So strong, strong opening salvo from Fran. Only one person to beat this week, Dane. What you got for us? Uh, no, I agree. That was a strong opening because Ikwanu is is outstanding. Um, I'm going to go with uh, someone who is, I'm going to be saying a lot of the same things um, because he has that same type of mentality and that's Kentucky's Darian Kennard, uh, you know, offensive tackle, offensive guard, six, five and a half. 342 pounds, huge bear claw hands, over 11 inch hands, uh, almost 35 inch arms. He's now in his fourth season as a starter for Kentucky. And it's no coincidence. When you look at Kentucky's success in the run game, the last four years, it, it, it's it's because a big part of it's because of Kennard. And he became a starter as a freshman. And so let's go back over the years. So that's an 18. That's Kennard's freshman year. Benny Snell rushes for over or for almost 1,500 yards, becomes the school's all-time leading rusher. 2019, Kennard's a sophomore. Lynn Bowden, the Wildcat quarterback, rushes for 1,500 yards, leads the SEC. Last year in 2020, Kentucky, they used more of a committee approach. They ranked second in the SEC in rushing yards, just behind Alabama, who played two more games than Kentucky did. 
Kennard decides to come back for a senior year. He really wants to show he's a first round pick. Uh, he's probably on the cusp last few, if he came out as a junior, uh, you know, late first, early second, he comes back, wants to be uh, that for sure first round pick. Okay, well, who leads uh, the SEC in rushing through four weeks? That's Kentucky's Christopher Rodriguez, 522 yards. That ranks third most in college football. So all four years, Kentucky's identity has been run the ball because they have a guy like Darian Kennard. And I think it's tough to quantify production for offensive linemen, but you just look at the uh, run game success, and a lot of that's going behind Kennard. He does a great job creating movement at the point of attack. He uses his heavy hands to overwhelm defenders. He can flip his hips, seal run lanes. He can torque defenders from his path. Not the most refined player, but when you have that type of grip strength and just that mauling mentality, uh, you have a guy like Kennard who's going to manhandle everything in his way. So fourth and goal, I'm running behind Kentucky right tackle Darian Kennard. Love it right there. Fran, go back to uh, Equine for a second. Where is he slated to go? Not that this will make necessarily make it, but where are he is he projected to go in the draft? I think Appro- most, approximately. Yeah, I think most mock drafts right now, Dane, correct me if I'm wrong. I think most mock drafts had him like, you know, middle round one, it seems that that seems to be kind of this. There are some that'll have him a little bit higher in the top 15. There are some where it's like uh, late round one or falls out, but it seems like the median is somewhere middle of round one. In my uh, preseason top 50 board, uh, Iquanu was number 32 and Kennard was number 34. So I I had him, I'd look at him pretty similar um, as prospects. Both guys could easily go first round. This tough one, this tough one, because I I love the pictures you've painted, not just with the guy, but like Dane took the team success route. Fran really went into the player himself. So really, really tough argument here. Um, So let's see. So, you have them ranked closely in your preseason top 50. You say they're both going to be, you know, those late first, early second round guys. So two outstanding selections, two guys I wouldn't want to mess with, mess with whatsoever. Uh, I'm going to give this one to Fran. I think he got the last one. I think he'll get two in a row. And this is, this is really a split in here argument. I think I like the fact he went more into the guy, but I hear the success that Kennard has brought to Kentucky and that basically it's just a, it doesn't matter who's at running back. It's, you know, these guys have gone on to the pros and not had outstanding careers, but they did so against top competition in the SEC and uh, largely because of that great offensive line uh, anchored by Kennard. So great arguments either way. Again, like I said, uh, I'm just picturing a uh, a smaller version of Mekhi Becton and uh, Fran, we got to see Becton up close at those joint practices yeah, that's, that's a man that when he puts it all together, and I know the Eagles players, I know he didn't practice the second day because he. I think he suffered a concussion, but the Eagles players were saying after that first practice, when that boy puts it together, he's going to be something. So some high praise there. So uh, nice little comparison there. So uh, I'll go I'll go frame with this one here. So um, Ben, a close second. Dane, just going to bring a career <laughs> this week. See, I've always said you were smart. Thanks so much uh, for joining us here uh, on the Journey of the Draft podcast. We will talk to you next week. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the Draft Mailbag. Well, great stuff there from both Chris McPherson and Dane Brugler, as always. uh, Great stuff from both those guys. We'll talk to them next week. Now, let's wrap this show up with our Draft Mailbag, where, again, the best way to throw us your support is to go on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Leave us a rating. Leave us a comment. And if you've got a question... That's the pl- best place to reach us. We're going to reach out now to JD Sports, who went out to our Apple podcast page and left us a question saying, Fran, I've got my top three wide receivers listed as Traylon Burks from Arkansas, Chris Olave from Ohio State at number two, 
Justin Ross from Clemson at number three. How would you separate those three guys and how do they compare and contrast to each other? And then lastly, who could be a guy that could could, could potentially climb in to that top three discussion? So, uh, J.D., it's a great question. And I think when you look at those three players in particular, it's kind of contrasting skill sets. So I think it ultimately will come down to how teams view them fitting into their scheme. Traylon Burks is a he's so interesting because he's kind of like that Swiss army knife, right? He can be used in so many different ways, but I think his yards after catch ability at six, three, we talked about him earlier in the show, so we don't need to dive too deep into the skill set. but at six, three, 220 pounds to run the way that he does. And you know, the way that he carries the football in the open field, he can run through you or run past you. I think that he's that that's a skill set that you could really use. If you have a yards after catch focused offense, if you like to use your wide receivers as blockers and you have a lot of misdirection and play action, those Shanahan style teams, Traylon Burks is a great fit for that kind of a system. Or if you're a quick RPO offense, you want to get the ball out of the quarterback's hands fast and get them to the receivers. Traylon Burks, a great fit there. Chris Olave, he's a little bit different, right? He's a little bit of a slighter build. He is a crisp, crisp route runner and also a certified deep threat, right? So he's going to be used a little bit different than Traylon Burks. And then when you look at Justin Ross, I mean, this is a guy that has worked inside and outside, but he is a tall, long, vertical receiver who's got some chops to him as a route runner as well, but he's a ball winner on the outside. And so all three have some comparing different skill sets, right? Justin Ross, maybe your prototypical X receiver. Chris Olave, maybe more of your prototypical Z. And Trey Burks is kind of like that big slot, could be an X, could be a Z. He could be, again, that Swiss Army knife type of player. So I think with all three guys, you could make the argument for them being a wide receiver one. Justin Ross has that wild card with the medical concern, right? So that's the one thing there. But I think when you look at all three of those players, you could make the argument for any of them being wide receiver one, uh, just as well as any of the others. So it's a really interesting question. Uh, and I think it's a, it's what makes that wide receiver decision so fun. As far as the second part with what you said about uh, who's someone that could climb up into there, obviously Garrett Wilson is a player that a lot of people are really high on from Ohio State. Uh, Chris Olave's teammate, more of a slot possession type uh, receiver, not, not possession type, but more of a slot receiver that can impact all three levels. Um, but you just want to see more consistency, which I think we have seen him uh, be a little bit more consistent here this year. That would be one one for sure. John Mechie from out from Alabama. Uh, he has brought the production to the table this year, now being the guy in that offense as the number one pass catcher. So that would be another player. And then Drake London, uh, he is a, a big oversized slot receiver. He's been a great possession threat for them. He'll be, uh, you know, especially from me in media circles, he'll be in that discussion. We'll see how that shakes out for him moving forward. So it's a really fun wide receiver position. I love all three of those names that you brought to the table, though, with Traylon Burks, Chris Olave, and Justin Ross. So, J.D., great question. Thanks so much for that. And thanks for your support here on the Journey of the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand. We'll be back later this week. Ben Fennel will return. We'll preview what's upcoming here in week five. We're going to have a couple other great guests, Ross Tucker, Eric Galco, and also our, our Mr. Relevant. So make sure you stay tuned right here to the Journey of the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand.